today on Ag News Daily. Cheese is going to take serious economic toll on the majority of Americans. And so um, they're going to just do what they can afford. So what they can afford is going to be the basic necessities. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here with today's edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by co-host Delaney Howe. And Delaney, Iowa is not yet under a stay-at-home order yet, are you? No, we're not, thankfully, but we saw more things close down over the weekend, like spas and salons. I thought tattoo parlors have closed, so Delaney has to put off your new tattoo. I don't have any tattoos, and I wasn't planning on getting any. So that one I'm Delaney okay with. Howell. Okay. I was figuring you'd get some kind of a flaming skull on your nope. bicep or something. Nope, not for me. Well, me either. I just, you know, I'm afraid of that kind of commitment. Yeah, me too. And I don't really like needles in particular, so pass. Yeah, hard pass. Hard pass. I tell you what, Delaney, despite, well, despite or because of, the markets have been going crazy. They've been going crazy this past week. And today, as we saw this weekend's collection of coronavirus shutdowns and slowdowns continue, we saw the equity markets broadly continue their slowdown. Not nearly as bad as they were breaking down last week, but we had a different story when it came to the ag commodities, didn't we? We certainly did. Today's markets had some explosive moves, all thankfully to the upside. And we're going to chat about those with Naomi Bloom coming up, Mike. But first, we've got to chat about agricultural news, which is, of course, still related to COVID-19. It is. Delaney, what are some of the main top headlines you're keeping an eye on today? Well, we are continuing to watch the stimulus package being debated right now in Congress. And according to North Dakota's Senator John Hoven, it appears that it is very, very likely that the USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation will be replenished. And they're saying we'll see an increase currently or previously for MFP 1 and 2. There was about $30 billion in that fund. They're saying they will, they want to, at least folks on the Republican side of the aisle, would like to replenish it to $50 billion, but they're facing some pretty strong headwinds from Senate Democrats who were objecting to the provision. So that's kind of an update where that stands, but that would be a massive increase that could potentially be MFP 3.0. Right. That would be the necessary step to kind of lay the groundwork to get a third MFP payment out, Delaney, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Interesting. So we've got the potential for MFP, potential, and of course, as you mentioned, they're still struggling over some details. We've got the potential for just the government writing everybody a check. Those debates are ongoing. There was a recent proposal by the Democrats, I'm not sure where the Republicans stand on it, to effectively cut a check for $2,000 to every person, uh, man and woman, or, you know, whatever. I can't just use man and woman anymore, of course, but um, or to $1,000 to every child. And um, every adult, I suppose, could get two grand and then every child would get a grand. But that is also being hung up in uh, congressional delegations and discussions. So all of these things remain to be seen how this uh, stimulus package is actually going to look when it does get voted on, which should be later today, Delaney. Oh, OK. I hadn't heard it was happening today, but uh, I'm glad you've got your ear to the ground there. Well, I didn't say it's happening today. I said it should be happening okay. today. It was supposed right. to happen on Saturday night. 
and it didn't. Discussions got bogged down. Basically, the the Democrats are objecting to a $500 billion package put together to uh, help corporations extend loans and uh, you know mitigate some of this fallout. Democrats think it shouldn't be much more than $250 billion. Republicans said $500 billion, and they were clashing over that. They're also clashing over this payout to individuals. So there, there's still a lot of moving pieces to hammer down. But Senator Mitch McConnell said he was really hoping to get something through today. So, yeah, I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on it. Absolutely. Well, another big thing that happened over the weekend that actually did happen was a list published by the USDA of hundreds of different beef and pork producing facilities and storage facilities that are now eligible to export to China under some less restrictive regulations as part of the U.S. Phase 1 trade agreement. There's about 492 plants that can now export beef and about 449 plants that can now export pork directly to China. So that was considered a win for U.S. protein markets. Absolutely. I hadn't heard that. That is fantastic news, Delaney. Yeah, and essentially they are backing off a little bit on some of the growth growth hormone regulations as well as chemicals, feed usage, etc. So the Chinese are. Yes. Interesting. I wonder if this is an indication that they're getting ready to step in and kind of start fulfilling their their promises to get some purchases on the books. I am hoping that that is the case, but I'm guessing it's largely tied to just the explosive protein markets we continue to see both domestically and worldwide. That is true. We do have something that is not explosive, and that is global growth. Or if it is explosive, it's explosive to the downside. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva came out earlier today, and uh, she mentioned that there is probably going to be a global recession in 2020 that could be worse than what we saw during the global financial crisis of 2008-2009. However, the IMF says that they believe that this will be much shorter lived and we should have a recovery in place by 2021, Delaney. So that's a bit of bad news there for uh, those of us who are engaged in you know, the broader economy, even if mm-hmm. agriculture does manage to find some bright spots in here. Well, another bright spot, taking it back to the meat picture, Mike, has been just a surge in domestic meat purchases and meat consumption. Another weekly analysis put out by 210 Analytics, as well as the National Association of Meat Institute, again, looking at really the last week period ending in March 15th, we saw meat sales surge 77%. Jeezy Pete. Yeah, which is a huge, a lot of folks going to the grocery store. Absolutely. And it was in all sectors of U.S. protein, beef, chicken, pork, deli meat, turkey, lamb, you name it. People are buying it. You know, Delaney, when they go to the grocery store and they stock up for their quarantined uh, weeks at home, they are not just buying meat. They're also loading up on bread products. Reuters had a fascinating story this morning about how North American millers and bakers are scrambling to satisfy the bread buying binge. Um, two of the reporters from Reuters, Julie Ingwersen and Rod Nickel, got together between Chicago and, um, oh, golly gosh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, and they started putting together, okay, making some calls. What is happening here for the wheat millers as the bread flies off the stage at the grocery store? And uh, Terry Tyson, who is the general manager for the Canadian unit of a uh, Minnesota-based miller called Grain Millers, 
said, quote, there is a ton of pressure to produce to fulfill customer demand while also dealing with the obvious need to be extra cautious with our labor pool. He said that uh, this, their company in particular had finished building a new facility in Saskatchewan, or Saskatchewan, as they say up there in Canada, and uh, they had not planned on operating at full capacity, but they're thinking by the end of this week, they'll be hiring more laborers and running it at 100% just to meet demand. This has caused the premiums for some specialty classes of wheat, notably those used for pasta and for uh, for other bread classes, to skyrocket. And it has certainly added some wind beneath the wings of the Chicago wheat contract, which uh, continues to climb higher and higher and higher, Delaney. Absolutely. And, you know, the other big area, we've got meat, we've got our grains, we've also got dairy that continues to fly off the shelves during this pandemic time of crisis. However, a little bit of bad news for the dairy industry, not or not necessarily bad news, but some uncertainty that has recently been created. Gary Rasmussen, this one is for you. But... As we know, Dean Foods filed for Chapter 12 bankruptcy or Chapter 11 reorganization. And we for so long here thought that the Dairy Farmers of America was going to buy out Dean Foods and take over as processors, keeping those contracts, keeping those dairy farmers in business. However, over the weekend, we saw Dean Foods request to go forward with different bid procedures. They'll still be buying up some of the assets coming from Dean Foods, but will no longer be the ones in charge of the processing facility themselves, which leaves some uncertainty for folks who have contracts with Dean Foods about who will pick it up in this time of reorganization. Interesting. Okay, so this was a story we thought we had all buttoned up. We'll have to continue to keep an eye on while these details continue to fluctuate, Delaney. Absolutely. And at the time, at this point in time, there's nobody that's really coming to the forefront that's saying they're going to pick up Dean Foods contracts or picking up, you know, taking over that process, those processing facilities. Uh, listeners, I know we've got a lot of dairy producers. If you have a contract right now with a Dean processing facility and you've got some uncertainty, uh, give us a, give us a message. Shoot us a note on Facebook or Twitter. You can reach us at Ag News Daily and let us know what you're hearing. What is the rumors on the ground? What are what are your buyers telling you? What are the milk truck drivers saying? Let's uh, help us here at Ag News Daily get to the bottom of this a little bit more from the producer's perspective. Absolutely, Mike. Well, we've also got some uncertainty, Delaney, when it comes to ethanol. We have seen gasoline prices continue to plummet in this country. In fact, earlier today, Arbob Futures, which is the you know, the class of gasoline futures contract that is unleaded gasoline, fell to their lowest level on record. They dropped to 46 cents per gallon, which makes uh, ethanol, makes it very hard for ethanol to be competitive in that market. So even though we saw some impressive moves in a lot of the commodity markets today, we didn't see corn really share in a lot of it because they are still looking at this ethanol market and they're concerned about what the future may hold, Delaney. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as we talked about before on the podcast, those folks feeding out ethanol, DDGs and other byproducts are going to have to maybe consider looking into a new marketplace, a new way to feed their livestock. Absolutely. Now is the time to either stockpile if you can, if you still have ethanol plants in your area producing, or begin looking at making some other feed arrangements. Because you're exactly right, Delaney. When those ethanol plants shut down, those co-products go with them. And those co-products add a lot of value to the American livestock sector. So folks, let's be aggressive. Let's be on top of this thing. We know ethanol is struggling. Let's figure out some ways we can continue to keep those cattle and those hogs fat and happy. 
Absolutely, Mike. And I just had one other piece of news that came out on Friday, and that was the monthly cattle on feed data. Oh, good. What do you got for us, Delaney? Well, when we look at on feed numbers as of March 1st, those were slightly above average, the average analyst expectation, coming in at about 11.806 million head. Placements, however, were lower as compared to months prior, as well as analyst expectations came in at 1.711 million. And we also saw marketings in February pretty substantially above where USDA estimates were, as well as analyst estimates at 1.775 million head marketed in February. So we'll talk to Naomi Bloom here in just a quick minute about what all those numbers mean for the cattle industry. Perfect. They didn't seem to have much of an impact on prices today. It was enthusiasm throughout the sector in the meat market. Delaney, what do you say? Before we talk to Naomi, should we see what the markets did? Let's do it. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. Just a reminder, if you want help managing a challenging economic situation, give our friends at agmarket.net a visit. That is their website, agmarket.net. Hop on there, get connected with one of their brokers, and get some help managing some risk in this time of uncertainty. Taking a look over at the corn market, we had the May corn contract drop a quarter penny to finish the day at 343 and a half, with the December contract up three quarters of a cent, wrapping things up at 364 even. Soybeans and wheat were the big movers on the day. May soybeans up 20 and a quarter cents, closed the day at 882 and three quarters. November new crop up 11 and a quarter to finish the day at 872 even. Looking over at Chicago wheat, May again up strongly on the day, closed higher by 22 and a quarter cents, finishing at 561 and a half. December new crop up 15 and a half to finish at 562 and a quarter. As I mentioned, and as Delaney mentioned, as everyone has mentioned today, the livestock markets were en fuego today. That's Spanish for on fire. They opened at limit up in the live cattle complex and didn't move off limit all day long. April live cattle up the daily $3 trading limit to close at 101.65. June also $3 higher, limit up, closing at 92.52.50. Feeder cattle, same story. The March, excuse me, April contract up $4.50, closing at 123.32 half. The May. Up the daily trading limit of $4.50 to close at $122.75. Lean hogs, similar story, didn't open with as much fire as the cattle markets did, but eventually they also got to limit up in all of the, well, front month contracts at least. April contract $3 higher at $64.57.50. The May, $3 higher as well to trade the day, close the day at $63.87 and a half. Now a reminder, all of these contracts will be trading expanded limits again to, well, Expanded limits tomorrow, which means live cattle and lean hogs will be able to move $4.50. Feeder cattle will be able to move $6.50 tomorrow. Quick look over at the dairy market. Not a lot of trade today in the March contract. It was unchanged on the day at 1626. The April was up three cents to finish up at 1608. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our good friend Naomi Bloom from Total Farm Marketing by Stuart Peterson. Well, as promised, we are talking to Miss Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. Of course, she's a senior analyst with them. Common voice here on the podcast. But Naomi, we are excited to chat with you again today because these ag markets have been explosive today. Yes, very, very explosive with uh, corn and um, being quiet, but the beans and the wheat exploding higher and then the cattle and hogs uh, limit up. So it's been a wild day for sure. 
that it has. Let's dive right in here, Naomi. I want to start with the soybean market in particular. As you look at the old crop contract, is it safe to say that we've put in at least a short-term bottom? Um, that is a good question. That is one I am really trying to figure out right now. I think what the test will be is tomorrow. And on the May soybean contract, uh, without a doubt, it's had a nice um, rally higher, but there's going to be some major, major overhead resistance in a combination of places. Today's high, 884, is the 40-day moving average, and ultimately up near 896, that's the 50-day moving average, and that used to be support, and so now it's going to be resistance. So it wouldn't surprise me if we, this market can maybe move another dime higher, but then it's going to hit a big snare of resistance on daily charts, and, and we'll see if we can get through that or not. It'll take new, fresh, fundamental news to get above it, but of course, soybean meal demand has been the reason that the soybeans are on fire, um, so it would have to be new demand from meal in the form of exports or maybe a big export sale for soybeans itself. Otherwise, I'm a little cautious. Maybe maybe this buying spree might come to a close. Again, 895, 896, that's kind of the, the big resistance number we're looking for on the soybeans. Now, as you think about meal export demand, one of the stories that has really caught my attention is the notion that we could start to see port shutdowns in Argentina. Have any of those started yet, or are they just still under discussion? Um, to my knowledge of this moment, it still is under discussion and a lot of rumors. But if those do come to fruition, that's a whole new ballgame. That would be new fundamental news that would make the market potentially get through that 895 area. So it is essential that we keep an eye on that news um, for the summer southern hemisphere absolutely in the next couple of days. And Naomi, as you look at the southern hemisphere, of course, this is their big time of year as they're going through harvest and whatnot. What are you hearing as far as production values go down there? Um, the most I've heard, recent I've heard um, regarding the, the soybeans in Brazil, they're pretty much two-thirds to three-quarters harvested. Um, to my knowledge, the soybean production values are maybe a smidge smaller than what the USDA had accounted for, but there's no big drastic reductions. The bigger question is going to be that second crop corn. Um, that's coming into their dry season sooner than later, and, and that would be the, the market or the issue if that stays dry down in Brazil, that we could see the corn market rally because of that. Any perception that that crop down there is smaller would be supportive for prices here. So that's the one I'm watching. Well, now let's talk about the corn market there, Naomi, because it has been a hot minute since we have the corn market, since we have seen the corn market really rally. Is what's keeping a lid on corn predominantly this concern that ethanol demand is going to continue to lag throughout the summer? Is that the main headache in that market right now? That is the headache. Um, the most recent numbers I read was that if these plants shut down or slow, it's going to be the equivalent of not using 50 million bushels of corn a week. So if that's the case, and you know, obviously quick math, you're looking at 200 million bushels a month, maybe only for a month, but maybe for two months. And so that, to traders, makes that balance sheet, you know, look bigger as far as ending stocks go. And then, of course, in the back of our minds, we're aware of what Goldman Sachs, the big commodity trading group, had said last week, that they were going to be selling corn futures on the notion of less corn being used for demand for ethanol. But then you have to tie into this point of there's a lot of feedlots and, and cattle producers who rely on those CDGs for feed. So now 
are they going to turn their attention to soybean meal, or do those places use corn to actually use for feed, or are they going to be using sorghum, or are they going to be using wheat? They obviously need something that has the protein, and that's why the soybean meal is appealing, but the price is now getting high. So then I wonder, do they actually just go back and start using corn? So there's um, a lot of twists and turns on this, ultimately. But what I'm watching on corn is the 350 area on that May contract. That's going to be resistance to the uphead, upside, because it used to be support. So if prices stay below 350 for May corn, to me it says that we could just really slowly, slowly grind lower. But if we can get back above 350, there's going to be a whole lot of technical buying that spurs. Um, you know, the other thing in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, all right, well, if beans and wheat have taken off to the upside, corn is the lagging market. Do people who, you know, do they see that as a, a cheap value because corn hasn't traded? So, um 350 is the magic number on corn. I'm cautious. I'm defensive right now. But if that main contract gets above 350, then I think the upside is a good 10 or 15 cents in the short term. Well, Naomi, since you mentioned the wheat markets, they've also been pretty explosive here. Is wheat pulling soybeans or vice versa? Are they working together in parallel? Um, I think wheat started the rally last week. Um, as people saw, bread off the shelves around the country. Um, so wheat started the rally, beans followed, now they're working together for sure. Um, the biggest thing with wheat, you know, we, when you step back and you look at the global supplies, it still is huge ending stocks. There's no doubt about it. But the short-term demand for wheat is there as millers are rushing to, you know, make more bread and get the stores um, restocked sooner than later. So with wheat demand, what I'm thinking, you know, as a, as a mom who's thinking about, all right, now my kids are going to be home for, probably eight or ten weeks, they're hungry nonstop. You know, what What am I going to be feeding them, you know, if I can't get to the store every so often? And so the quick, easy go-to staple, quite frankly, is bread and pasta. So do we see that demand actually continue? Because, you know, for so long it wasn't cool to eat carbs, and now it's maybe going to be one of those necessities for a family when they just need something quick and easy, um, something that's going to fill bellies, and um, that's what I'm wondering, if, if this becomes new demand or if this is just a quick fix to get food back on the shelves at stores and then things kind of go back to where they used to be. So that, that's the big question mark. So when you're taking a look at the Chicago uh, May contract in particular, what sort of price levels are you really watching to determine whether or not this is going to be a long-lived uh, rally or something that will be sustained or should be something that is sold? It was 550 on that May contract, and we blew through it today. So, um, so 562 is where 562 and a half is where we finished today. So now we're near the next resistance level, which was actually the high from February 21st. The Chicago May contract was up at 568 and a quarter. So ultimately, 568, 570 is a resistance area. If it can get above 570, then it'll go back near the contract highs from January, closer to 590. Um, but the wheat has the momentum. It has a daily uh, bullish reversal from last week. It has a weekly bullish reversal on chart. So technically speaking, the wheat looks like the big winner yet. Um, but again, it's that, is it going to be like legitimate long-term new demand or is it going to be a short-term blip on the radar? So that's you know, uncharted territory for all of us, clearly. 
And Naomi, I want to transition to talking the meat markets because they've obviously been some of the big winners here as of late trading with, well, tomorrow we'll trade with expanded limits, of course. But, you know, I think to put it in perspective, we're also pretty near some lows here and are starting to pick back up. But do you see as of lately, our recent moves being a bullish reversal or or just a correction from some of the weakness we've seen? Let's talk live cattle in particular. Yeah, so on the, the cattle market, um, there's clearly some good momentum happening there. Technically speaking, on daily charts, um, I'm not seeing anything specific that says this is a you know major bottoming signal, but what it might be doing is making something happen on a weekly chart or on a monthly chart. So those are things that are coming down the road. Um, the, the cattle market, I think, is similar to wheat, whereas we are filling that short-term demand to get the stores replenished. But then the question becomes, if this coronavirus staggers on for, you know, 10 weeks and we're all sheltering at home, and if a good chunk of America is not working, now comes the question of which is the cheapest protein that they can buy to feed their families. So um, I'm very curious to see where the demand for beef lies going forward. Um, I think hamburger is going to be without a question in demand, period. Uh, that's, the ground beef market is going to be good, but it's, it's the steaks that I wonder if we see that falter because, um, you know, a lot of people in the city maybe can't cook steaks the way that their restaurants could. So I'm curious if the demand stays there. But what we want to keep an eye on, of course, is that cash market and the value of um, the retail sector. So a little too soon to say if this is the bottom or a recovery bounce, but I think we'll know sooner than later. Now, Naomi, as you mentioned, the cash market and the retail beef market, there has been a huge divergence in those two factors over the past two weeks as the Packers really felt like they could have some risk coming in and scaled back a lot of their negotiated catch purchases. And then we saw consumers race to the grocery store and bid up that choice and select box beef value to levels, you know, we haven't really seen since 2015. There was a response, and I just wonder if you've got any thoughts about this. Tyson Packers last week offered or, or rewarded or gave $5 a hundredweight additional over all of the cattle they had bought that past week. Have you heard that uh, story? I heard it reported out of South Dakota a few different times. Is that something you were aware of? Um, I heard that story this morning, and uh, to me it, it kind of makes sense because what we also then heard is that the, the Packers were making like $500 ahead profit, something absolutely outstanding, like ridiculous um, profit margins over the past week. So I think um, – from a we need to make sure that we are doing the right thing at the company standpoint they're passing some of that on to the farmers they're passing some of it back to the you know ultimately the, the producers who deserve it um, so I am very curious to see they said it was I think just a one week deal that they were right. going to honor just it on the yeah. purchase last week was my understanding that's what I understood too yes that's what I understood too so um, there weren't there weren't any specifics about the story that I could see only like a few headlines so I'm piecing together pieces just I think like you are uh, but you know anything that we can do to help farmers right now you know we'll we'll take it right. yeah. hats off to that and, oh, go ahead Delaney. well I was just gonna say the other thing that's been helping livestock farmers you know has just been the demand from a grocery store perspective we just talked about earlier on the podcast how meat sales surged 77 percent 
the week ending of March 15th. And it's been interesting, you know, as we continue to hear consumers saying that they're going meatless or focusing on plant-based meats. And then during times of uncertainty or crisis here, we're seeing them revert back to their basics and buying what they know, buying protein. This isn't necessarily a market perspective, but more so just because I know you follow some of the geopolitical and political happenings of the world. But Naomi, do you think that long term, once all of this COVID-19 kind of is in the rear view mirror, do you think that consumers will continue to purchase meat, maybe not at the pace that they've been purchasing at, but just going back to regularly purchasing meat like this? Or do you think this is just a short term crisis response? I think it depends on how long this economic um, issue lasts. Um, you know, there's some people who are saying we're going to have to shelter in place for 10 more weeks. I saw that on the news this morning. If that's the case, I'm no. dealing with, yeah, no kidding. Right. I'm like, I cannot stand it. Like, <laughs> enough as it is. Um, but I mean, if, if that's the case, it's going to take serious economic toll on the majority of Americans. And so, um, they're going to just do what they can afford. So what they can afford is going to be the basic necessities. And it's, it's not going to be the fancier foods. It's not going to be um, – they're going to focus on survival versus focusing on doing the right thing for the environment or doing something that's trendy and cool is kind of my hunch. And that would be the case, I think, um, through the summer and then maybe starting in fourth quarter, depending on how quick the economy is recovering – people can kind of go back into their, oh, I'm going to say it, foo-foo interests as far as food goes. And and they can go back into things then. But in the meantime, you've got to focus on feeding your family. You've got to focus on feeding your family the cheapest thing that you can provide. That's going to fill kids' bellies the most. And those are going to be the basic staples of, I don't know, I'm thinking ham sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, ultimately, you know, going back to bread. And then any kind of cheaper protein combination. And I think at the store it's going to be kind of whatever is on sale that week. The, the chicken demand is always going to be there. Um, but I think like ground hamburger and definitely probably ham sandwiches or turkey sandwiches. Absolutely. And that should be beneficial for the pork market as well. Yesterday my girlfriend smoked seven pounds of pork butt. And for $7 she's got meat to last for, shoot, through the apocalypse. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. You know, I'm doing pork chops tonight, and I have a package of nine pork chops that I got for like $8.50. So that feeds us for two days. So the same thing, you know, people are buying in bulk, and it's almost like I feel like we're going back to like how it was when we were kids. Um, just um, here, totally dating myself from the 80s when everything was really, really <laughs> like, um, you know, sour for the economy and everybody seemed like we were all poor. And so life was just a lot simpler then, uh, a lot of meat and potatoes. And I wonder if, like, people who are in my age group who now have kids, if that's, like, what we're remembering, so that's what we're reverting to, and that's ultimately what happens in the short term. Well, listeners, if you want to revert to risk management, you can always get a hold of Naomi. Naomi, how can folks get in touch with you if they want to pick your brain and or cover some of their, uh, cover some of their trail on this deal? Yeah, give me a call at 800-334-9779, or you can just send me a message on Twitter. My handle is at Naomi Bloom. Fantastic. Naomi, thanks so much for taking the time with to chat with us. Naomi Bloom from Total Farm Management, Total Farm Marketing. Yeah, all good. Thank you so which, much. Which is it, Naomi? I'll say it right. <laughs> Total Farm Marketing.
Big thanks to Naomi Bloom from Total Farm Marketing. Well, again, a big thank you there to Naomi. Always a good time talking to Naomi. She's really tuned in for what's going on on the producer level and always love chatting with her, Mike. Absolutely, listeners. If you've got folks we ought to be chatting with, reach out to us. Give us a note. Send us a note. Drop us a message. Send us a video. Send us a picture. Whatever it is, we're open to all of it. You can find us on pretty much all the major social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily. You'll find us. Let us know what we ought to be talking about. We know this is a challenging time for a lot of folks. What issues are we missing here on the podcast that we need to be covering? Check us out and uh, let us know what we can do to better represent what it is you're seeing. And, of course, Delaney, they can always find us on the website at agnewsdaily.com, right? Absolutely. You can check out our podcast as well as all the other Global Ag Network podcasts in case you're stuck at home getting cabin fever bored like I am. Check out some of those great podcasts covering some informative and also entertaining topics affecting the world of agriculture. Yes, indeed. And with all of that being said, Delaney, what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 